One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. Please be seated. You arrive at the doctor's office, and while you wait, you are given the familiar clipboard with the familiar cheap Bic pen on which you get once again to tell your health story. And the questionnaire goes something like this. Why are you here today? Do you have insurance and who's your carrier? Any recent surgeries? Family history of heart disease? What medicines are you currently taking? Do you smoke or use alcohol? Okay, so far, so good. We've all done this. But imagine if that questionnaire continued as something a bit closer to what Jesus encountered or what, what the, blind, the man born blind encountered this morning. Here's how the, the questionnaire continues. Do you consider yourself to be a good person, worthy of health, and well-being? Have you sinned lately? And if so, how gravely? Next line, just kidding, we know you did. Just tell us what you did. <laughs> and on a scale of one to ten, how sinful were your parents? <laughs> At this point, you would probably get up and walk out. Or, or I don't know, maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you'd stand up and say, I knew it. I knew that all along this science was bogus and that it really comes down to God being mad at me. I hope not, but we know that that kind of feeling can persist. Those questions would be ludicrous because they come from a completely different paradigm. Physiology and clinical practice on one hand, and, and guilt and shame on the other. These are two di distinct systems that do not work well together. They don't go together at all. And we know that instinctively they are a mismatch because when we think of it, what we laugh. It just feels kind of ridiculous. It feels absurd when we think about filling out that kind of a questionnaire when we go to the doctor. Well, we get the same kind of absurdity when Jesus heals the blind man. And in so doing, he sets off a grand debate among Pharisees and family members all around issues that have really nothing to do with somebody gaining sight for the first time in their lives. Jesus does a thing. He does a big thing. But because it's outside their zone of expertise, what they do is they latch on to a bunch of little things that they think are going to help them to understand or control. Of course, it really does neither. Doesn't this sound a bit familiar, though? We make idols out of the little things, and we often miss out on the profound, 
unexpected transformative thing that God is actually doing with us. Restoring our vision. Healing our hearts. Mending the fabric of a broken community. You see, in this passage, Jesus didn't simply confront one dysfunctional family, nor did he simply confront one synagogue in need of a transition or an interim or a great strategic plan. Jesus, simply by loving and being present, comes into conflict with a whole paradigm with a whole worldview, with what Cynthia Bourgeau calls an operating system. Think computers. A system that cannot run the Jesus program no matter how many times they try to load the update. It's like running your iPhone apps on an Atari system. It's just not going to work. Do we, do, do we know what Atari is? All right, Generation X in the house. Anyone? Anyone? Sheesh. This gospel is all about what happens when paradigms collide. We start uh, with the disciples who are living in that same paradigm, and then we move to the Pharisees with the stories they represent. But in reality, it's the operating system that all humans fall back on when they are anxious or when we are anxious when we are tribal, when we are uncertain of what to do with our vulnerability. This paradigm is rule-based, opaque, rooted in worthiness, power, and fear. We know what it looks like. Its hallmarks are expulsion, efficiency, and evasion. And yes, we can sneer all we want at those Pharisees, but we all know that this is deeply familiar. And I believe that we are all at some stage of healing from this particular way of seeing the world and living in the world. Jesus' paradigm does not fit here. The two simply don't connect with one another. Sure, there are places of overlap. Judaism is not a paradigm in conflict with Jesus' message, by the way, because one gives life to the other. One deeply informs the other. But the human need for power and control, that absolutely is a paradigm in conflict with what Jesus is bringing. Jesus' message is completely different from the blame culture of the story. It's embodied. It's compassionate. It's loving. It's messy. He spits in the, on, into the dirt and with the saliva clears someone's eye. Ew! I mean, come on! I'm glad that's not a sacrament. It is incarnate. It is filled with mystery, but it is also filled with life. And what happens when paradigms collide is absurdity. 
the feeling that something just doesn't make sense, no matter how we think about it. It's when you hear somebody say something that, that really makes no sense at all, but they really believe it, and they probably expect you to believe it. Chances are you're saying things they can't understand either, that's when you realize that these two, that two paradigms, two systems are crashing into one another. Think about what the temp, when the temple leaders ask of the man, no, actually the disciples, ask of the man born blind. Who, who sinned? This man or his parents? Pretty good binary you got there, but neither one of them is remotely correct. And when they witnessed the miracle, the Pharisees do that, but they say it simply cannot be real because it happened on the Sabbath, even though it happened right in front of them. They simply cannot get out of the fact that they are stuck, really stuck, in a worldview that is so far from reality, the only thing they can seem to do is dig themselves in even deeper. And then when the parents pretty much abandon him, Rather than celebrating his recovery, he was reduced to begging. And yet his parents are not happy for him when his sight is given to him for the first time in his life. In fact, they abandon him to the mob. And when we hear that, it feels absurd. But it also can feel painfully familiar because we all know a little of what it feels like to be let down by someone who is supposed to love us unconditionally. That mixture of, of absurdity and dissonance and, and even that twinge of pain, those are feelings that tell us that paradigms are colliding and that sometime soon we're going to find ourselves making choices about which ones we go with. Those choices, by the way, will come with a cost. They always do. But when those paradigms collide, when we bring a thirst for justice to a world addicted to consumerism, when we confront supremacy with the belief that all God's children are created sacred and equal, when we see the very reign of God breaking into the world that we know, something holy happens as well. Something hopeful and new. You see, there is a kind of sacred energy that gets released poured out into the world through those disruptions and cracks in the walls that we've constructed. Now, before I get there, though, I want to I mention that there is one thing in this passage that troubles me, and that's, it's all the way at the, kind of a long gospel. Did anybody else notice that? Yeah, it's all the way back at the very beginning. So you may have forgotten when Jesus says that this man was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. That's, that's really tough. I just cannot seem to square the, that one with a God of love and the, re, the great reality of human suffering. I mean, this poor guy, he's born without sight, 
His peers uh, meet him with suspicion. He's abandoned by his family and then come to find out that his blindness was a part of God's plan. I mean, thanks for nothing, right? But, but here's where I go with that. Maybe we can't quite get there because we too are reading this through the lens of our own paradigm. And so we don't quite have the right vocabulary, the quite perspective to quite see where Jesus was going, meaning that we misread it just a bit. And maybe the paradigm that we are living in carries the sad reality that we all feel that way sometimes. Despite the fact that, that we've all learned, we've, whether you have a great therapist and, and a preacher who tells you over and over again uh, that God loves you unconditionally, we still somewhere along the way internalize something so that we do at some level think that we suffer or we feel less than because there's something wrong with us. But maybe, maybe Jesus is wanting to turn that around. Maybe that propensity that is in so many of us is actually a hook that Jesus is using to connect us to something more hopeful and perhaps even more faithful. What I think, what I believe, is that when these paradigms collide, life and death, heaven and earth, the divine energy that gets released finds its way into the world, into our hearts, through our suffering, yes, but also through our love. Yes, God's story becomes revealed in this man, but, but not because he was taking one for the team, but because compassion and love and healing are the very nature of God. And of course, Jesus focused that energy on the one who was in the greatest need the one who was the most invisible, irony intended, to all those who were supposedly doing just fine. God's energy, God's love, finds its way into our hearts not when we are comfortable and safe, not when we are at the very top of the food chain, not when we are nestled at the heart of a paradigm that happens to work nicely for us, but precisely when those operating systems come crashing down, crashing down to reveal God doing something entirely new in this world. We meet God precisely when we are hurting and vulnerable and disrupted. We meet God when the paradigm that we have come to rely upon begins to crumble and shatter, when it begins to look and feel absurd, revealing between those new cracks the stuff of new life.